0: Show me the crypto. Show me the crypto! Show me the crypto!
1: In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonagrin.
2: Well, hi there, and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson, and I'm Ulf Lonagrin. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Josh Newroth, head of product with Anchor. In April 2021, Josh left his seven-year career in the data center and digital infrastructure provider space to join Anchor, which has a mission of making crypto and Web3 adoption easy. Josh recently tweeted, just like how every company is already a tech company, someday every company will be a Web3 company as well. Josh, welcome to Show Me the Crypto.
0: Well, I'm uh, honored to be here, guys, and excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, we're really excited to have you on as well. And and Web3 is just such an interesting term that has come around. And and we're going to dive deep into that through this conversation. But before we do that, I'd love to hit the starting point of when were you first introduced to crypto? What did that look like? And what was your initial impression?
0: Yeah, so I'm, um, you know, everyone, everyone laughs at me when I tell them the story. But it, my first uh, touchpoint with crypto was when I had a, a friend mining Bitcoin in 2009, and he had was pumping out Bitcoins all day long, buying gaming PCs, you know, <laughs> reinvesting that, uh, selling the Bitcoin to buy more gaming PCs so he could mine more. And his his wife eventually made him stop, and he was like, "Man, you got to put 100 bucks in this." I never did, and. I just kept going <laughs> watching it go up and i was like this is a fad you know and then and then you know started to see kind of around the time um that, you know we, like many people in that mid 2017 really started to see like the prices going up people getting excited about it and that's when it kind of caught my attention but web 3 wasn't really a thing at that point ethereum you know was only about two years old at that point and so you know, I started getting into the space at that time, but really didn't get heavily into the space. I'd say into 2019.
1: And Wade mentioned in the bio, you left a seven-year career to start a Web3 startup. Yeah, can you, yeah. Can you walk us through? Can you walk us through that?
0: <clears throat> yeah, so I'm not a co-founder of Anchor, but I did meet the team really early on when it was mm-hmm. less than 10 people, and at the time. Um, was doing a, you know, a, a lot in my career. I worked primarily in infrastructure as a service. And when I, I for, most recently worked for Sixterra, which just IPO'd. So I left to join Anchor three months before the IPO. And some of my friends were like, wow, are you crazy? And I was like, well, this thing is going. like," And that was back in early 2021 of this past year. And what's been so fascinating about this is at the time, like Anchor has been talking about Web3 infrastructure and just web, the Web3 movement for a couple of years now. It's like only your technologists really knew about Web3 a year ago. You know, you, I tweeted it. I remember I, the first tweet I did and I tagged Web3 and people were like, what? And people were like, you are talking about the semantic web. You know, that was kind of a term that people used to say for Web3 before it was like the crypto movement. And now what's so profound about it is that, It's not just um, the next evolution of the web, it's turning into a cultural movement. And that is really the most significant thing that I've seen here
2: it's interesting. Like you mentioned Twitter there and, and I love your, I was going down your your, uh, Twitter profile, I guess, and and different tweets, and you're really good at providing metaphors. There's a lot of really good metaphors Mm -hmm. there. One of the ones you tweeted recently, you said, if crypto is a digital gold rush, Anchor is providing the shovels and the pickaxes. So can you, can you dive deeper into like, what, what is Anchor for maybe our audience members who haven't heard of it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, we're basically building um, a decentralized platform or decentralized web services that kind of power the Web3 DeFi metaverse movement. And the way that we do that, there's kind of two ways. So I'm going to dive a little bit into the technology. I love explaining this. And again, like you said, using those metaphors, but uh, blockchain is in itself um, a decentralized system and it's the the blockchain itself is a uh basically nodes which are applications that run on a physical computer server in someone's house or a data center or somewhere right and so you know that's that's great you know we have we have um there's hundreds of thousands of nodes that exist in the system but you know to to really like do any kind of thing interesting you need access to nodes and there's a whole bunch of services that we're building that kind of live on those nodes And we're building a protocol that kind of lives it. So let me give you a couple of use cases of how this is. So in a blockchain, especially in proof of stake, you have effectively two types of nodes. You have what's called a full node. That is a node that kind of receives the transactions from the network where you can read transactions from it. So all use cases in crypto need access to a full node. Like, for example, Coinbase or Binance run thousands of nodes that they're using to power their infrastructure you're building any kind of, you know, analytics app, wallet app, whatever it is, if you want to talk or read information from the blockchain, there's a node behind there, you know, accessing that. And then on the other side of it, you have the validators, which is what I think most people are familiar with the concept of validators If they've read up on technology. Validators create the next block on the blockchain. So I like to say that like that the blockchain itself is, even though it's like this distributed system, um, the, it's a, it's basically a, a database that lives everywhere and that database kind of looks like a stack of Lego bricks that start from the ground and then it just keeps growing into the sky you know one by one and those validators are adding the blocks um you know to the blockchain. so we started building um, a number of services that live on both the full nodes and the validators and essentially our mission is to make you know mass adoption easy and so, you know, some of those services are used by uh, projects like Trust Wallet, uh, DeFi Pulse is one of our customers on that. And then on the staking platform, we have about 600 million um, of US dollars worth of crypto assets that are, that are locked um, on our values. We run over 2000 validators now. And so, yeah, it's an exciting time. I think what's what's fascinating about this, one of the reasons I, I wanted to come over to Anchor, is because it's kind of the most fundamental use case there is like all applications that are being built in the web three really need access to these core core services. Right. And, you know, some people ask me, is this like, are you building the next AWS? Some of our competitors use that language and I say, no. And the reason is because in, in, um, number one, we're, you know, we're, um, building a protocol that's effectively going to be community owned, you know, not a big centralized entity. And number two is that in this kind of new world, your traditional like computer cloud infrastructure, if you will, is almost like embedded. The money is the crypto app. The crypto, the money is embedded in the infrastructure. We've never seen that before. Traditionally, um, you know, regular infrastructure and banking infrastructure are completely separate and these are tied together. Right. so you know that there's a lot there, but um, yeah.
1: Well, there is a lot there, and uh, I think some of what you were just talking about um, had to do with Web three, and that being, you know, part of the conversation today. Um, we've seen on some of your, some other podcasts you've been on, uh, you've done a great job explaining the evolution of web one to web two to web three. Mm -hmm. And I'd love, uh, you know, not to kind of repeat what's already been said, but for the sake of our audience, if you could uh, maybe do that explainer here, it'd be great to, you know, hear the evolution.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, web one Essentially, people were launching websites, and you'd find those websites through your web browser. There's kind of a read-only mode for the web. I would think about the years, like the '90s to the early 2000s. You know, Alta Vista, GeoCities, um, you know, Yahoo, even AOL. I remember going and just like in the late '90s, early 2000s, doing so much research, but you weren't really talking to people online unless you were using like AOL, which you know was their chat service but um you're looking up information then web 2 i would say really kicked off with the the blogging um like zenga i don't know if you guys remember that Mm -hmm. then you had myspace facebook youtube uh, eventually twitter where there was this rich media content you could upload you could talk to other people and that the whole social media revolution you know really is like what web 2 is and i think you know um What's been interesting about kind of where the internet has been? So, um, I'll, I'll tell you like what Web three is, and I want to talk about a little bit about like why Web three matters. But Web three is effectively, I, I wouldn't say it's a replacement for Web one or Web two. It really is a system, the next evolution that kind of runs in parallel to Web two. And the the thing about Web three is, if you think about Web one, as read only. Web two is read, uh, read and write. And then Web3 is read, write, and own. The ownership piece is the key piece in Web3. You see that with NFTs, with crypto, with governance tokens, with DAOs, people are really incentivized. They have a stake, literally a stake in the game.
2: Yeah, uh, such a good point. And going down that kind of Web3 line of thinking. I mean, 2021, like you you mentioned there, that wasn't really a term that we talked about too much before like early 2021 has the explosion of growth when we start to talk about things like NFTs. Has that surprised you at the rate it's grown, especially in the last year?
0: NFTs, I wasn't expecting them to grow this fast. You know, I think I think a lot of people say, you know, 2021 was like the the JPEG summer um but the the that's like really just the art is just the first use case or the first implementation of what nfts can be and um i i think you know in our yeah that has accelerated a lot faster than i thought it would um and i never really expected this fast for web3 to become you know a cultural movement where we have you know m M&M m buying an nft or you know you can some NFL player, right. And, and tweeting about it or putting their um, name.eth on their jersey or whatever it is. So that's been crazy. I never expected to see, you know, we've talked for a long time about like the crypto community has talked for a long time about like, oh, when's mass adoption happening? It's like, it's already happening. It's already here.
1: So going back to the follow-up, let's, uh, t- to that last question, you know, you mentioned what you were going to explain web one, two, and three, but you, you said you wanted to also touch on the importance of web three. So maybe I'll throw mm-hmm. that back at you.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what's, and, and there's a lot of great content already around, you know, centralized platforms and I don't think like, so centralized, Platforms are inherently bad. We use them every day. We rely on them every day. You know, um, like <laughs> if you if you buy a flight on an airline, you hope it's centralized, right? Like uh, there's there's uh, you know there's a lot centralized platforms can be good, but I think in specifically in technology platforms, centralized platforms have really um, abused their power and uh, the, the de facto business model. There's really two business models in Web two. One is your subscription-based business model, which is what Netflix or AWS use, or you know, we're all familiar with, you know, Instacart or Amazon Prime, all, all these subscription services. And then everything else is effectively an advertise-based business model that extracts user data. It comes at the expense of the user. And so these platforms, like you know, the the, the big social network giants have gotten so good extracting your data for optimizing for advertisements that it's effectively, it's kind of ruined the user experience. And, um, you know, it's kind of hurt that initial ethos of the democratized web of that web one ethos. So I think web three matters is it really seeks not to just build decentralization for the sake of decentralization, but it really seeks to, I, I would say web three is actually a tool to coordinate, Massive amounts of people, and um, it's okay if there's some centralized systems in there. But effectively, it's getting the community engaged and really decentralizing power, not always the systems. It is a decentralized system, but that's really what it's about, and it happens by giving you know those users a stake, whether it's an NFT or a crypto asset.
2: You were recently writing an article about, or, or said you were going to write an article about um, why people should get on web 3 in 2022. Why do you think it's important?
0: Well, um I I think we're in a so m- many reasons. I there's a so specifically in technology, um if you look at like I don't know. I live here in Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area, you know. Um most of my friends that are working for web 2 big tech companies that are a couple years into their career are you know, um very well off financially, right? They've reaped the benefits that all this data extraction has kind of generated and these power of these these um you know tech communities. And I think what's great about Web three is that people from all over the world are building in web three are getting involved, and there is not really like in you know there's not like one city you have to be in. You can be anywhere in the world and be a part of that. And so the barrier to entry is very low. You don't need to move to New York City. You don't need to move to Shanghai or London or, or you know San Francisco or wherever to be involved in this. You can literally go to Discord, join a DAO, start helping out and, and literally make like make your income doing that. And so um that is like and and we're also simultaneously I I really believe that this all the technology that's being created now will will really be powering kind of this concept of the fourth industrial revolution, and that really means that there's a lot of wealth being created right now. So it's the right time. It's very low risk to join Web three right now because it's not the sketchy like new industry. It's gaining real traction as it's become a cultural movement.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to basics here. What does Web3 mean from the user standpoint? Because like Mm. to to say to join Web3, like it's, I think it's much easier for a person to understand when they're working in Web3, they're working on a project that's a Web3 project, Mm. but for the user, like at what point are you in Web3? Is it Web3 if you're using, you know, if you're connecting your, your wallet, you know, like at what point are you in a Web3 ecosystem?
0: Sure. It's hard to say. It's I think people define it differently. I'd I'd say like what would def- what I would consider someone that's in the web three is they're using a browser-based or or they're they basically own their crypto. They have a standalone wallet like MetaMask or Coinbase standalone wallet. They've moved crypto assets maybe off an in exchange into this like stand they own their crypto. There's no central gatekeeper in there. And then they're doing something, you know, in the community effectively. And so, you know, not everyone obviously is going to know how to you know program or whatever. I just saw, um, I'm planning to attend the East Denver conference here in in late February. And they're, they're literally like, you can, you can volunteer at the event and just like be a host or a door usher. And literally you earn crypto for doing that. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they airdrop it to you, you sign up, you put your wallet address in, and then after that you get airdropped um some of their tokens. And so, you know, that is to me an example of someone that the average person could find a local community and get involved in some um some movement or some um you know event and and potentially earn uh earn some crypto assets from that.
2: One of the downsides or challenges of being early is that so for 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 yourself, for myself, for all we we understand what that means, you know, like have MetaMask, connect it, you know, when we first get MetaMask, yep. write down that seed phrase, never lose it, never tell anybody, like all that kind of thing. But that is an intimidating step one of the yes. process to go through. Yes. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is that mm-hmm. something that's continually going to get easier? And and in your opinion, is there too much friction right now that mass adoption uh, you know until it gets a bit easier, we'll really see that mass adoption
0: yeah, it is very intimidating it was in also in t- me as like a you know technologist was intimidating for me as well and so um y- there there are solutions being built right now that address those scary moments. um I was just using and exploring uh there's near protocol their wallet they have You know, they allow you to sign up with your email. Um, It's not as secure, obviously, as if you, you know, generate your seed phase and store that, but they're helping solve that. Um, You know, so long term, the solutions will get better and better. We're still kind of early in the technology itself. And so there's a lot of like open source development work that needs to be done to improve, I I think, the chains themselves to kind of enable this but as they do that it's just going to speed up adoption right and so i think one strategy i would recommend you know to anyone that's feels a little daunted or or um uncomfortable with using you know a wallet like that is to just take you know take something like maybe you know, 50 dollars worth 100 dollars worth of, if you have that to spare and just say i'm just i'm going to create a new wallet put this in there and i'm just going to experiment and get comfortable and it's okay if this goes away. It's like the cost of a course or something like, you know, and it's just, and just start there and then you'll learn what to do, what not to do, how it works. And then you can make the decision, you know, do you want to put more assets or get more involved in this? So it's really just taking that jump. I had a friend who made himself a to-do list. He's like, I'm going to start with buying crypto. I'm going to start with moving it to a to a, a wallet. Then I'm going to, you know, buy an NFT. And he kind of went down this list and he just did all these things. And then he's like, now he's like trying to work in this full time and, you know, doing everything. So wow. doing like minting NFTs and being part of um, communities and whatnot. But it starts with just taking that step.
2: Alf, do you realize our audience has been either watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? Now they should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment and turn on notifications. And if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts,
1: leave us a rating and a review. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. So go check out the episode description. You can find all that information below. And we have an update on the NFT, don't we?
2: That's right. We didn't previously mention this, but this NFT for OG supporter is a one of one. There will only be one of this kind ever minted. And we have a few surprises for the person who purchases it. The link is in the episode description. And
1: back to the episode. So... To dig into anchor a little more, you know, staking uh, is a big part of um what anchor provides. Can you just break down, simplify what is staking? How does it work on anchor? You know, why would I go stake with anchor? That yeah. sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So simply put, staking, just think of it as passive earning or earning effectively. It's not really interest, but um, you know, you're earning. Uh, crypto assets for effectively holding your crypto or not selling it. So, you know, staking is uh, uh, really, really taking off. And what we do at Anchor is we make it uh, very easy to stake assets. So like an example is with Ethereum, where uh, to stake on Ethereum natively, if you just operate your own node for example i talked about this earlier about how we're making like the node experience easier if you need 32 ethereum which today's price is really high um anchor we make that easier with a minimum deposit of 0.5 ETH, which is about two thousand dollars currently and so it lowers that barrier we do that through micro pools um we kind of pull the ethereum together as we as we stake it so You know that's an example, and then Ethereum currently is paying a a little bit north of six percent APR. And so, what's nice about that, if you stake, is you're kind of you're not only getting six percent more assets over the course of a year, you're also getting whatever price appreciation, you know, is in that just by holding it, right? And so, what I do want to say about staking is that when you stake with Anchor. Um, we don't take possession of your crypto. So, you know, I can get into the technology if you if you want to go, you know, go into that. But effectively, we support, you know, those wallets like MetaMask or a few others, you know, Trust Wallet, where the user owns their crypto, they're just locking it up, um, you know, and we're, we're, um, they're taking place and, and they're really honestly helping the network itself, helping Ethereum or whatever other chain they're staking on when they do that.
2: So is that cuz I on the website there's something about um and apologies for my lack of technical expertise here but like AETH and and the liquid yep. assets that you receive yep. D- do yep. you mind just diving a little bit deeper into how that does work?
0: Yeah, so the average staker, the average um, asset holder probably doesn't care that much uh, about the what we call synthetic tokens. So what it does is we effectively Give um, the people that stake with us, we give them a voucher called ETH, and there's two different versions of it. And um, it represents the value of your staked deposit, and then you can go use that—that that effectively that same value in DeFi. You can join a liquidity pool, you can, you know, sell it, whatever you want to do. Um, but you it uh, it, uh, it basically like unlocks your deposit while it's being staked, right? Because we effectively are not really the right word, but we've effectively kind of collateralized your your um you know your deposit there so we see that you know primarily be used by whales and large asset holders that you know they have a significant amount of capital kind of locked up and they want that liquidity
1: and are there any risks that come with staking on anchor
0: um, no and the the reason is because like I said we are we have well the, the the only risk is if you lose your seed phase right like that's pretty much fair <laughs> just like all crypto right um because we're not what's called non-custodial we don't take custody of your assets so your crypto you know you are control of it you're just locking it for that period of time and then you know you will unlock it at you know the other other side of that and then uh you know we have insurance deposits and other things that are that are playing into the um the architecture of the network you know in case anything were to happen but you know very unlikely uh,
2: switching gears a little bit um we recently had an interview with with michael kong of of phantom yep. and we kind of dove into the the discussion around uh advertising and and that side of things and and the what we were talking about a little bit was you know, you think about something like Crypto.com becoming, you know, like with UFC, one of their main sponsors and taking over the previous, uh, what was known as Staple Center to Crypto.com Arena and just like massive advertising, that kind of thing. I know Phantom had got into it with Formula One. Uh, Anchor is is it Sacramento Kings that there's some sponsorship going on there. So I guess the question yeah. is like... um why basketball, I guess, like why that particular market and yeah. and what's the real benefit? Is it just about general uh, consumer brand awareness kind of thing or like, what's the benefit of, of going down that sponsorship route?
0: Yeah, for sure. So the Sacramento Kings in particular, I, I think are one of the most technology progressive um, teams in the whole country. You know, they're, they have a data center, for example, in their stadium, um their owner is a huge supporter of crypto and so you know it made a lot of sense for us i think it's something you know we were actually the first crypto company to announce any uh partnerships with a professional basketball and then i think four days later coinbase announced theirs and now you have like crypto.com and several others like ftx and you know uh it goes down. you know you lots of adoption there um so we're you know for the Sacramento Kings, it's only about a two hour drive from the Bay Area. We can go to games. We can take our team there. We can take partners there. It's great, and it is a kind of a little bit of an extension of kind of our home base um, out there. And so, every court game, um, our logo is our, our logo is on the court, which means it's broadcast nationally everywhere, whether the NBA is broadcast so those home games are. So there's a lot of exposure to our logo. And I think it's something like, it's important for, you know, you know crypto companies. There's so many crypto companies that are completely anonymous, right? Like you don't really know who it's working with. It's kind of putting a stake in the ground and saying, hey, this is us, this is what we're here to do. We're here to be, you know, blockchain's foundation. We're making this protocol, you know, come learn about this. And so we see it as a way to bring in, uh, you know, people into the ecosystem and that's effectively what is happening. Our social media has grown um quite fast since we did that partnership we've seen a lot of people you know, joining our social media our reddit channel our discord talking about that and uh we have a lot more to do with the kings so we're excited for that
1: cool um this, again, switching gears. Um, one thing that you've mentioned before is mm-hmm. that Web three will disrupt SaaS. Uh, I run a SaaS marketing company, so I'm yeah. particularly interested in how you see that playing out and, and how you think Web three will, um, yeah, you know, disrupt that that industry.
0: Yeah. So first, I would dif- you know SaaS is software as a service. So you use you know mo- SaaS is I think most commonly used in the in the business world. Um, But also, you know, there's many consumer grade applications as well. So I I think what's interesting about Web3 in particular is it's not real. Like when I talk about a wallet, I don't someday we won't even say a wallet. Like it's just going to be your ID, really. And your digital identity is going to be your wallet. And so um, a lot of what's happened with SaaS Software as a service is is getting you know users onto the platform, and then having a subscription revenue. And you build some feature, some integration, some user experience feature that that like that niche or that company or that vertical really cares about. You make it easy for them to do some job, right? And I think what's going to happen is you kind of have several movements coming together. Like if people just can connect their wallet and all their data is there, that's going to be very disruptive eventually for the business community. Right, like as wallet technology gets better, imagine you know having team wallets where you know a whole company has like a wallet and all their individual employees are on there, and they're signing in. I think you know, we don't have like, well, one example is Auth0. Auth0 just didn't ex- is exploring you know a Web3 sign in with wallet right now, they have a, a, a single sign on product that's heavily used in the enterprise environment. And so, eventually, I think that's the way to go. We're several years away from like even really seeing that happen, but also you have like, you know, the front end technologies that build kind of the user experience are getting easy, easier to build. That so those two things together can be very powerful to disrupt SaaS long term. But long story long term, I don't think we'll disrupt Salesforce or you know companies like that. I think it's more of the long tail of SaaS providers that that will get disrupted.
1: It's interesting to think. I mean, some of the examples you just um, mentioned were, you know, primarily to do with logging in and how your wallet is your user ID, and you you use that to log in now. And if it's single sign-on, you're doing it in multiple different websites and applications. But from the from the business side, it could go beyond that, and and I mean, maybe it will disrupt the business model itself. Um, as well,
0: just well, can, in, let, let me give you an, let me give you a couple of examples yeah, of how yeah, this works. So, so right now, it's laughable to think about, you know, like a Ethereum wallet disrupting SaaS because of the high gas fees. But as gas fees will eventually approach zero, um, and and what that means is that all all like data that needs to be open and out there will just be written to the blockchain right and you're already seeing like some enterprise adoption of Solana because they're really fast network and they have you know low gas fees and so think about like a company their whole supply chain is in their wallet right their whole inventory is in their wallet right and that you know they can just sign into a front end application all that data is available you don't have to lock it up in some software as a service database somewhere and create like an API integration and i think you know, this is all speculation. Like, I don't have any practical examples of this, but that's where we're headed.
1: Yeah, that's a super interesting, um, you know, speculative future. You know, to to just have all of the information for your business right there in your wallet, and you go connect it to the provider, and now you plug and play with whatever services that provider, you know, gives you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's why I think anchor is really early. Like, you know, we've seen um, just the traffic on our network, like supporting customers. It's at least 20 X right now from, from nine months ago. Wow. And we think we're just like super early still, like we're still in the infancy stage of all this. So, you know, the, there's a long, a, a lot of work cut out for us
2: i'm wondering if you have any thoughts or opinions on you know so so crypto in the past has gone through different cycles and um it seems to historically have kind of gone through these four-year cycles of bull markets and bear markets um right now who knows you know there's the super cycle theories there's all sorts of thoughts on what we could be in right now however when we are in those bear markets it's a really interesting time because the people who are you know believers they're 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 there and they're building and, but in terms of the average person talking about these things, it it's much quieter than when prices are going up in that side of things. So I guess, you know, in terms of web three and everything, do you think that there's a potential if we did, you know let's say we had this euphoric rise up and then a big crash and several year bear market could you see that really stalling adoption and maybe it would be several years before uh you know we're talking about some of the things that actually seem pretty close right now
0: yeah absolutely well i think you know this is kind of a dangerous thing to say but i don't think there was going to be really any like huge bear markets unless Unless potentially there's like a huge financial crisis, like global financial crisis. So I think what's different, like the space, is completely different than the last four years right now. And there's there's several things that have happened. So I think first you have institutional money coming in, that creates kind of like a floor where you know they're not going to sell at a loss because they're sometimes public companies or you know institutional investors. Second of all, what's also interesting is like, you know, the last four years has been kind of defined as a lot of people speculating on roadmaps, right? And right now you have actual execution and projects have cash flow. So what I see happening now is like every time the market dips, um, you know, projects in the space are investing their cash flow in buying up assets. And so it's a little bit different because it's not that like, I don't know, kind of what happened with GameStop at the beginning of this year where it's like, are you going to go? Are you going to sell? It's not really that anymore. Um, and I think you'll see a lot. Those, those highs and lows will kind of start evening out like a traditional market.
1: And talking um, to the future more, what's the future look like for Anchor? And where will it be going? Like, What are some of the plans on the roadmap?
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, for us, we were at the beginning of 2021. We were, frankly, a small team right around the time I joined, a little bit north of, you know, 30, 35 people. Now we're about 100. We're definitely um, hiring a lot, really working on our user experience, you know, our product reliability. There's a, so much work to be doing. Um, we have several new products launching this year, some new opportunities, some new announcements that are coming you know, down. But I think, you know, to go back to what I said earlier about some of the issues and in, in like, you know, in, in the in Web3 and DeFi, like we're very focused, like I said earlier, on, on making that mass adoption happen. So that's going to mean like investing in user experience, customer experience, really ironing out that so that, you know, every person can feel comfortable with working with, you know, Web3. And so we have a lot of plans for that this year. Our first Product is launching at the beginning of February, which is exciting um, for this year. And then we have a very aggressive roadmap the rest of the year as well. So, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, one of the things long term that is most exciting, and this will, you know, we could talk all day about this, but as we op- we've integrated 50 different chains, which is the most of any infrastructure provider. We're pretty much focused on about 15 that are kind of like the ones that have the most traction right now. And then like I said earlier, we run those both the full nodes and validators. And so what's fascinating is like anchor is kind of like it's not sexy to say this, but we're we're increasingly becoming a middleware to all these blockchains. And I would say, you know, a lot of people talk about Ethereum as a layer one, polygons a layer two, and there's all these layers. They're all trying to solve some of the core issues in the space. But you know, historically, we've seen this in web two, it's like the middleware companies end up solving a lot of the issues right? um, You know, between uh, different, you know, different protocols. So for example, you know, people, are, Ethereum is high gas fees and it's rather slow at like 20 transactions per second right now. So, so a lot of people are speculating on Solana, right? And Solana is doing great. They're building a great ecosystem. But like, you know, if you have assets in Ethereum, you can't really move them easily to Solana. You know, they're completely different. If you're launching an NFT collection, you're like, do I do it on Solana? Do I do it on Ethereum? You know, long-term anchor just makes that seamless. You don't even need to worry about it. We're like a layer zero um, that kind of connects everything together and makes everything interconnected. And so that is the future we're we're working towards.
2: You know, you're just talking about anchors' future specifically. I'm curious. I always like to have our guests kind of like crystal ball a little bit and, and with for you with web three like in 2022 we, we mentioned you know this is the year for people to to start exploring if they haven't experimented a little bit uh but where do you think things are could be going this year especially considering 2021 was such a rapid year of growth
0: yeah it's um i think two two big things that there's a lot of excitement around are our gaming um every major game studio has a web three strategy right now Mm. um and i think we'll go from like you know we've seen these these like pay as you go apps or games on the apple app store and you know android app store and eventually they're going to be like you play to earn you play to earn crypto and that's going to be really exciting you play to earn nfts you play to earn like tokens and that have real you know real value. Um so that, that's exciting and then social specifically around DAO's uh, a decentralized autonomous organization. Um I think the next I, I I recently talked um about this also on another social network I'm on, but what I don't think we'll see like a true web three replacement for Facebook. Um, in fact, what we'll probably see is like a lot more niche communities that kind of like end up drawing people out of the traditional social media, uh, you know, websites, you know, and, and, and into those. And so social, like the, the whole social, uh, web three space is really, really interesting. I think mean, it's going to have a huge year.
2: Do you think there's any danger in, you know, take Facebook and changing its name to meta and obviously that's on the roadmap, but, you have this this uh, it was uh read in web 1 read and write web 2 read what write and own in web 3 is there any risk of if web 2 tries to get its hands in web 3 that that could not be a good thing
0: uh, uh yes and no i think it's more of an information risk or a marketing risk like so Facebook did a tremendous job at accelerating the web three movement by changing its name to meta. It validated it in just a way that like, I mean, they're basically saying that web three is the future and they want to, they want to be part of it. And so that got so much attention from institutional investors, you know, all the, you know, the big tech employees started paying attention to it. Um, But, you know, like Facebook and meta can never really be a true web three company because they're a public company, you know, with, you know, Mark Zuckerberg controls more than 50% of the, you know, the voting um, there. And so I think, you know, ultimately like, you know, the community will decide. Um, But I, I think what people should realize is that, you know, this is a power move. This is a defensive mechanism that Facebook's doing here you know, it's, it's seeing the future and that they're, you know, the next big thing is being created and they're trying as soon as possible to get in. I think what they'll end up doing, you know, they'll, they'll do some stuff with payments, but ultimately what they're trying to create is really like the, I don't know if you guys remember the game second life thing came out in like 2003. Everyone was excited about it. It was kind of like early metaverse, but they're going to try to create like this virtual reality world. Um, but I don't, I think the metaverse really is not going to be that at least for the next five years or so. To me, the metaverse is, is, is effectively like your, your digital presence really carries your reputation. And we've seen a long trend um, specifically in like, you know, Instagram influencers and people like seeing their Twitter profiles more valuable than their resume, you know, or their blog more valuable than the resume. We've seen this a long trend where your, your digital identity is getting more and more valuable to your career, to your, your reputation. And the metaverse is kind of, that's what it is. It's where, you know, your online wallet, your, your, maybe your social status is kind of determined by your wallet or your, you know, all that is, is kind of wrapped up into that. So I think it'll, it'll, it won't always look like this virtual reality world. It's really just about, you know, your, your digital self. Uh,
2: Josh, I think it's really interesting what you were just saying there with regard to reputation, because um, earlier in 2021 we saw a handful of of celebrities or musicians or that type of thing uh, take advantage, I guess, of of NFT mm-hmm. and you know when when everything was selling out on Nifty Gateway on every drop in a matter of seconds and that type of thing, and there were a few like a very small percentage that are kind of still around the community and that type of thing. But most they did their NFT drop. They probably got their cash and that kind of thing, but it almost sounds like what you're saying is that actually may come around to to bite them because reputation is going to be so important when it comes to Web3.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, def- definitely. I think, you know, there's so, there's, there's so much speculation still specifically around NFTs. And there's like, there's no regulation around NFT specifically. Like tokens, I think, have a, a much more gray area. Um, Your traditional like crypto tokens around like the regulatory framework. But with NFTs, you're just selling someone literally an image. It's like selling an image on Etsy or something or eBay. And so it's perfect. You know, there's there's zero regulation. And so, you know, what people kind of figured out is if they could pay these influencers, like you can contact their agents like, Oh, I'll do a, you know, an Instagram listing for $50,000. And then, then everyone goes crazy. And they're like, Oh, this is going to be huge. And all this money rushes in, you know, it was just a marketing thing. There's no substance behind it. Um, I think people are starting to get smarter around that. There's always people looking for quick money, but, you know, <laughs> I think the rep, the reputation is going to be uh, important kind of in a, in a, in a different way. It's, it's, it's going to be less about like maybe what you did wrong, but more about like what contributions you made. And so I talked a little bit earlier about some of these opportunities to get involved in the community and earn tokens. And, you know, maybe you went to a charity event and they give you an NFT and it's like, you only get that NFT if you contributed something to a donation, you know, to a nonprofit or something like that. That's kind of how I see it will be used or maybe, um, you know, universities start giving you a degree as an NFT, and you send in your wallet too. I don't know, but it's um, like these yeah.
1: poops we we were talking about on uh yeah. on one of our other episodes, right? And it's these, you know, proof of attendance and yeah. you know, say uh, a way yeah. to s- sort of show your your badge of I was there, you know, I participated, I did this thing, whatever it is, and that a way to sort of earn that clout or that reputation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I, I think what you know we've ultimately what this ends up being is you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna really help you know the um I, I can see us going into you know in the U.S. here we have a, a credit score system when people are applying for loans. Effectively, someday when you go get a loan, it's, they're gonna look at your wallet and be like, oh, what you know, what projects have you worked on? You know, maybe they even see your income. I don't know, but like we'll see more and more like social validation through through uh, your wallet.
2: Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Well, Josh, this has been such a good conversation for a while. Alf and I have been talking about it. We've had some guests talk a little bit about web three, but just this whole deep dive, most of the conversation mm-hmm. around web three, I think is just such an important, so many people like, like all fast earlier in the conversation. I mean, you know, what does web three mean? And it, and it sounds like, you know, it is a different definition depending on who you ask a little bit, but we're all kind of navigating this space. Uh, but before yeah. we let you go, we like to ask every guest that we have on show me the crypto, the same three questions. And yep. it's a segment we call you had me at crypto. So I just going to ask you those.
1: Sure. All right, Josh, you ready? Yep. Okay. First question. Who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space?
0: Oh man. Um, I I uh, love following someone like Nader. At he's at Graph Protocol. He, he's a developer in the space. Started Developer DAO. He's got a lot of great content out there. Nice.
1: So, All right. Second question: What will the price of Bitcoin be ten years from
0: now? Oh man, um, two two hundred fifty k plus. All
1: right. All right. That's on the lower end of uh, the predictions we normally get. But yes, fair, it, fair enough. It
0: is. It is.
1: All right. Uh, third question What is the most underrated coin or project in crypto?
0: Other than Anchor. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do feel like Anchor is undervalued, but of course <laughs> I have to say that. um Undervalued. Um, okay. So I, I want to, I know you guys mentioned um, Michael earlier. I think Phantom is i'll say this is is the most undervalued layer one in the space right now in particular and their coin has been pumping a little bit or the token has been pumping um a, a quite a bit recently and, and phantom has incredible um i see like i see the stats because i see you know who's building um on anchor who's building on phantom on anchor and it really has a solid developer ecosystem um but they don't have as much institutional money as like Solana does. So I feel like it's kind of like off the radar and they're also not listed on Coinbase yet, but Phantom is one to watch. Great ecosystem, great community. The uh, foundation's done a great job of putting the name out there and um, love what they're doing and they have great technology too.
2: Awesome. Great job with those. Well, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to join Alf and I on this episode of Show Me The Crypto.
0: Great. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to Show
1: Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.